and welcome back to Making Sense of Money. I'm Nikki Giancola Shanks. On our last episode, we talked about the steps to take and things to keep in mind when you rent a place to live. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini. Today, we're going to be continuing our series on housing with the topic of mortgages. Earlier, we said we would do a, a specific episode on mortgages since they can be a little complicated. So whether you are looking to own a home or you already do, the jargon can be kind of confusing. And we hope today we're able to help guide you through some of the more tough questions and vocabulary around mortgages. And I'm Jake Hamilton. To help us with this topic, we are lucky to have an expert on today. Uh, Carrie Beyer is a colleague of mine and Nikki's at IDFER in the Division of Banking. She is currently the director of the Anti-Predatory Lending Database and Investigations or the APLD. Several episodes ago, we actually talked about the APLD and we had Carrie's predecessor on, uh, but now we're helping to, happy to welcome Carrie to the pod for the first time. So uh, Carrie, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself? Thank you, Jake, and thanks so much for having me um, on today. I am new to Division of Banking. Uh, my name is Carrie Beyer, and in addition to the anti-predatory lending database um, at IDFPR, I also work with consumer services and investigations. So thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much for being here, Carrie. Um, she, I, I will say I may be biased, but she is a joy to work with. So, um, so let's first start out by talking about the very basic parts of, of a mortgage. And I'm gonna give some brief um, definitions of these terms that you will hear when either applying for a mortgage or refinancing. So the first is principal balance. That refers to what you initially borrow for your loan. Then it's the loan term. That's how long you have to pay it back. So 30 years, 15 years. The interest rate is the amount you're charged for the loan, which accrues over time. So the last is that we want to review is origination fee. That's the expense you pay the lender for generating your loan. And sometimes it's also referred to as an administration fee. Thank you, Nikki, for reviewing those kind of basic terms. So with the mortgage industry, there are also lenders and servicers. Carrie, can you kind of go over what the difference between lenders and servicers are? Yes, um, thank you. So lender is a really broad term that simply means the company that provided the money that you're borrowing or um, you know, the, the company that you owe the money to that you have to pay the money back to. But um, sometimes, you know, when you're, when you borrow money for a mortgage, um, you will pay back the lender directly. Um, but other times, um, the lender will hire a company called a servicer. And what the company, the, the servicer does is they handle all aspects of your mortgage for the lender. So for example, the servicer rather than the lender, what they'll do is they'll send you monthly statements. They'll take your payments each month. Um, if you're paying each month for your taxes and insurance, they will handle that um, aspect of it. That's called an escrow account. They will pay your taxes and insurance. So they kind of um, handle the loan for the lender, but they're not actually the person you owe the money to. They're just, but they are the person that you would, you know, make the payment to each month. So um, generally speaking, and if you are having an issue with your mortgage, you would talk to the servicer and that's the person that you would work, work with. Um, and if you were struggling or having some difficulties, then you would want to contact the servicer and find out if they have hardship 
programs. So our department licenses some servicers um, as well. So that's one thing to, to be aware of. So Carrie, I have a clarifying question. Some people talk about their mortgage being sold. Um, do How do lenders and servicers kind of deal with the aspect of your mortgage or loan being sold? So that's a great question because both, you know, it's possible that the lender could sell your mortgage to another lender, or you might even hear the term that they've sold it to an investor. You, you might hear that a lot if you have a mortgage servicer that your lender, you know, is an investor. Um, so it's possible that the lender can transfer to another lender or investor. And it's also possible that the servicer can transfer from one servicer to another servicer. So those are all things that can happen when you're during when, the time when you're repaying your mortgage. Um, most of the time, if the lender transfers to another lender, but you're working with the servicer, it's not really going to impact you that much. You're going to keep making your payments to the servicer just like you were before. What you really want to be careful to look out for is if your servicer transfers to another servicer, then you have to start making your payments to the new servicer. So you don't want to keep making payments to the old servicer and then cause you know a lot of confusion there. You've got to really make sure you understand, okay, starting on whatever date it is that the servicing transfer is effective, you need to make your payments to the new servicer. And when either a lender or a servicer changes, they are required to notify you in writing. So you would get a letter from the servicer saying your lender has changed or your servicer has changed. And then that's how you'll know that you have to you know, make, make changes to, to your payments if, if necessary. Thank you, Carrie, that's very helpful. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot of stuff that happens on the back end, like after you secure a mortgage, there's like a lot of things that don't that happen after, you know, you've secured it. So thank you for clearing some of that up. Um, so one of the other uh, professions that our office uh, licenses is a, is a mortgage loan originator or an MLO for short. Carrie, could you tell us what that is? Yes, a mortgage loan originator is a person that would work with um, with you to take your application for a mortgage. So they would you know, work with you to have you fill out the application, submit supporting paperwork, and then, you know, work with you to find out if your application is approved um, and, you know, what the terms of your mortgage would be. And as you mentioned, our, off our office does um, license many um, mortgage loan originators. Some can also be licensed by the federal government. So there is some um, differences there. And when it comes to the actual type of mortgage that's out there, I know that there are, are several different types. They're the most talked about buzzwords, I'd say, conventional, FHA, and then different special programs like VA and USDA, lots of acronyms. <laughs> um, can you kind of walk us through and tell us the major differences between these types of loans? Yes, thanks, Nikki. We'll break down some of those acronyms because they do get very confusing. Um, so a conventional mortgage is really a very broad term that can mean a lot of different kinds of mortgages, but it basically means that it's just not one of the special programs. So it could be, you know, a 15 year mortgage, it could be a 20 year mortgage, it could be a 30 year mortgage, it could have all different interest rates, all different repayment types. So, you know, it, it's very important if you're applying for a conventional loan that you understand exactly what kind of loan you're you want and what kind of loan that you're, you'd be potentially approved for. Um, but there's also these different kinds of special, special programs. Um, so one that you mentioned is FHA. And FHA stands for Federal Housing Administration. 
And that's um, a special type of loan where a, a lender can make that loan, but the Federal Housing Administration will give the lender insurance, protect the lender if they make that kind of loan to you. So um, because the, the FHA is offering lenders insurance on that kind of loan, then lenders are maybe willing to make the loan you know, to people who have lower credit scores or maybe people who can't put down as large of a down payment as other borrowers can. So there is anyone you know, can apply for an FHA loan. Um, and whether it's the best loan for you kind of depends on your circumstances and you know, what other types of loans you can be approved for. So it's always good to ask and make sure you understand you know, what can you be approved for and what, what the terms would be of any potential loan that you are approved for. Um, then there's a few other ones that you have to fit into certain categories to be able to apply for them, like the VA loan. There's a VA loan, and that stands for a loan from the Veterans Administration. And this loan works uh, very similar to an FHA loan where the Veterans Administration, again, offers special insurance to a lender so that a lender will be more willing to make the loan. Um, but the only people who can apply for a VA loan would be a veteran, a service member, or a surviving spouse. So um, other than that, it's, it operates similarly. You may be able to qualify with the lower down payment, um, things like that. And then the USDA also has a program that stands for United States Department of Agriculture. And again, this type of loan works the same way, you know, the USDA offers insurance. So the lender be more willing to make a loan um, to maybe someone who doesn't have a large down payment, but these loans are only offered in rural areas. So have to be living or purchasing in a rural area to be able to qualify for a USDA loan. So with all of these kind of special programs, it's just really important to understand the specific terms that are offered for you, to you and kind of compare different types of loans, shop around and understand what is going to be the best deal for your situation. And just a quick follow-up question, Carrie, because you're talking about like shopping around and I'm hoping that as you go to apply for some, let's say you didn't know that the US, you you could qualify for a USDA mortgage, but you weren't aware of that. It's somewhere along the typical process. Are they going to flag that for you? Or is this really something that you have to make sure you're aware of and say, I know I qualify for this. What do I need to do? Well, that's a good question. I think it kind of depends on the mortgage loan originator that you're working with. So it, it's always good to ask questions up front of your you know, mortgage loan originator when you're filling out an application. What can I qualify for? Are there any special programs? Um, you know, it kind of depends, I think, on, on them and, you know, how they, what kind of things they're going to offer. But the more that you investigate on your own and can ask questions about, do I qualify for this? Do I qualify for that? That's the better situation too. That's great. I just wanted to kind of highlight that it's always okay to ask um, as you're going through this process, like, like Carrie just said, do I qualify for any special programs and, and do your research? And now you'll know after listening to this podcast, some of the different programs. Yeah, we talked about that with uh, when we talked about choosing a financial press uh, professional a few episodes ago, you know, if you're trying to go into business with like a financial professional or a mortgage loan originator and you feel like they're not asking you the right questions or they're not you know doing their own due diligence then maybe you might want to take your business elsewhere and look for someone else i think we've said it before but you're your own best advocate as a consumer 
So hopefully listening to this podcast can help you be a more knowledgeable advocate for yourself. Um, Along with mortgage loan originators um, and lenders and servicers and all these different things, um, most of the time, a lot of lenders will market their mortgages for a standard 30-year term, but that's not the only term length available. We talked about 15 or 20-year earlier in this episode you mentioned. Can you talk about how someone might try getting a different term length for their mortgage when shopping around? Absolutely. Absolutely, Andrea. Thank you. Um, Well, it's always a good idea to ask about um, what loan terms are available because it is possible to have a shorter loan than 30-year, you know, standard. I think that's what most people default to um, or maybe most mortgage loan uh, originators would default you to. Okay, this is what we, you know, can offer you for a 30-year loan. But um, it's often true that you could get lower interest rates by doing a 15 or a 20-year loan. So you would want to ask, you know, what would the interest rate be if I applied for a 15-year loan or a 20-year loan? What would the monthly payment be? You know, you could ask these kinds of questions to find out if that would be affordable for you to do a shorter um, mortgage than, than 30 years. Um, and one thing that's important to remember, though, that doesn't maybe quite seem intuitive is that if you are picking a shorter term, then you're repaying the loan more quickly, you're repaying the principal more quickly. So the payment might actually be higher, even if your interest rate is lower as far as your monthly payment goes. So that's just something to keep in mind. You want to find a monthly payment that's affordable for you. Um, And while kind of keeping the term as short as possible would be the best um, outcome for your situation. So how does the loan term, which we were just talking about, impact the, the actual, the total cost of your mortgage? That's a great point. The loan term has a really big influence on the total cost of your mortgage because, you know, interest is calculated over the amount of time that you borrow the money. So when you choose a shorter term, the overall cost as far as how much interest you're going to pay and how much the mortgage is going to cost you overall is going to be less because you're, you have the use of the lender's money for a shorter period of time. So the, the longer you make the repayments, then the more you're going to pay over time, the more the total loan is going to cost you. But again, it's the monthly payment too that you have to watch for. So the longer the loan is, and in most cases, then the, the lower the monthly payment will be, but the more you'll pay overall because you're paying it over a longer period of time. So it's really good to ask, you know, how, what, if any specific term, you know, what would the monthly payment be? What would the interest rate be? And break that down so that you can understand what, what's best for you. And people can use a, what's called an amortization calculator to see uh, when more of their monthly payment starts to go towards the principal of the balance of the loan rather than primarily to the interest. Carrie, could you talk about what the amortization charts or calculators are? Yes. Um, so basically when you're repaying a mortgage, the way that the payments are structured is that you pay more of the interest at the beginning of the mortgage than you pay at the end of the mortgage. So what an amortization chart or calculator will show you is you can actually look at each payment during the you know, 20, 30 year term, whatever your term is. You can look at each payment and see how much of the payment goes to pay the principal, how much the, the principal being the amount that you borrowed, how much is going to pay the interest. That means what you're being charged to borrow the money. So when you look at it, you can see that in the beginning, you're paying a lot toward the interest. And as time goes on, you're paying a lot more toward the principal. So it's almost like a bell curve if you look if you graphed it. It's like all interest at the beginning and then it's all principal at the end basically. 
So um, that's really important to understand if you're thinking about refinancing, because depending on how far you are into your current mortgage, you might be paying a lot more toward principal and a lot less toward interest each month. And if you choose to refinance, you're kind of starting over at the beginning of that process. And you're, you're, the payments at the beginning of your refinance loan are again going to start going more toward interest and less toward principal. I was shocked the first time I saw one of those amortization charts for like a 30-year mortgage, depending on the interest rate and some of the other fees that you're having to pay. Sometimes you'll be paying more towards interest every month for 17 or 18 years into your term in a 30-year mortgage. It could be longer. And in some cases, uh, the amortization schedule you'll have a balloon payment at the end because you haven't been making enough payment towards the principal to actually pay off the balance when you are at the end of your loan. So that's also something to pay attention to as well. Absolutely. You should always ask if there's going to be a balloon payment because that is a very concerning um, thought that you would be paying for all these years and then not have paid it off at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I would not be pleased <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Um, so on this uh, topic of payments, we talked in the very beginning, I talked about a rate, like your interest rate. Um, so can you kind of talk to us a little bit about the difference between a fixed rate and an adjustable rate mortgage? Every person's situation is very different. We know that. So we, and they would have to pick which one works best for them, but is one type used more than the other? Yeah, so I think a fixed rate loan is, you know, was at least most commonly used for many, many years in mortgages. And, you know, more recently, over the past maybe 20 years or so, there's this adjustable rate um, option has come into come into play for people who want it on their mortgages. But basically, a fixed interest rate means that your monthly payment that you make of the principal and the interest when you're repaying the loan, it will be the same amount through the entire time you have a loan. So um, if your monthly payment is $700, you know, on the first month that you pay, your monthly payment will be $700 on the last month that you pay. Now, this can get a little bit confusing sometimes because it's possible that when you make your mortgage payment, you pay principal and interest. But sometimes your mortgage company will also ask you to pay money each month for to go toward your taxes, your real estate taxes and your homeowner's insurance. So in that case, what they do is they collect a little bit of money each month for your taxes and your insurance. And then when those bills come due, they pay them um, for you because those usually come due once or twice a year. So the, the tricky thing is that the cost of your insurance or the cost of your real estate taxes could go up. So in that case, you might see your monthly payment go up even if you have a fixed rate mortgage, but really it's not because you're paying, you're, you're paying more to pay back the loan is because you're paying more for your taxes and your insurance. So it might go up a little bit, but it's otherwise you pretty much know what your payment's gonna be throughout um, the life of your loan. Now with an adjustable rate mortgage, um, that means that the interest rate can actually change during the mortgage over time at different points in time. So that's something you need to be aware of. You wanna know when it can change and how it can change. Um, and the major thing to understand with that is that you don't know how it will change and you can't predict it. So you um, might not know what your payment will be or what to expect or how to prepare yourself for that. So that's important to think about. But you'll hear adjustable rate mortgages called ARMS a lot. That's what they call it, ARMS. So you might hear a three-year ARM or a five-year ARM. 
And what that means is that the interest rate will be set at a certain amount for three years, it won't change, or for five years, it won't change. But after that, it could start changing every year, it could start changing every six months. It just depends on what the mortgage says. So, so quick follow up for that. So what is the advantage then, like to me, just listening to this, and just in, in the spirit of clarity, I have a fixed rate mortgage. So um, to me, the adjustable rate sounds very stressful, but that could just be me as a human because I like to know things like I'm type A that way. What are the benefits of an adjustable rate? Because in my head, I'm picturing, okay, maybe three years I have a super low rate, but does that mean the next three years it's like double what maybe it could have been? It could have been as a fixed rate. Yeah, that's possible. So I think that is the the concerning part of of these adjustable rate mortgages. Um, sometimes they might start out with an interest rate that would be lower than what you could get with a fixed rate mortgage. So that might be a reason why a person would pick that, and they think, well, oh, in five years I'm going to move or I'm going to refinance. But again, none of those things are guarantees, right? You, there's always a possibility in the future that you don't know what you wanna do in five years or you don't know what your circumstances will be. So I, I do think there's some risk um, inherent in picking that type of loan. So you have to be accepting of that risk when you go into it. I think I've heard mainly people using it when their time horizon for moving is within that three to five year time frame. So again, depends on your uh, tolerance for risk as well as kind of your long-term planning or short-term, mid-term planning and what your access to resources are, I think. And if you have a, I had one more question on this. Sorry, this is an interesting one. But if you have an adjustable rate mortgage, um, is that interest rate based on like market interest rates or are there other factors that go into how it might change? Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's kind of depends on how the mortgage is written. It could be based on a lot of different things. So all of the, the adjustable rate mortgages are based on what's called an index. So they pick some sort of number that you can get from a published, you know, um, from a published, like they used to pick like the um, LIBOR, which is like the, the standard um, amount of money that banks would lend to each other. So it really has no relation to, to you know, mortgages, but it's how they would measure how much the interest rate would change. So they use some sort of standard that exists out in the market. So it does, it is influenced by some, you know, market factors, but it depends on what index they call it, what index they choose in, in how that index might change. So it is difficult to understand, you know, what could happen <laughs> to your interest rate. It's not clear at all. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I was just thinking like, um, you know, like people might hear that like the Federal Reserve is going to like raise interest rates, you know, this year, they, you know, they're planning to, or, you know, they kind of set expectations for interest rates. So um, I know that can like it wondering and, and those interest rates can have an effect on other you know market index interest rates and it's kind of a domino effect so I was curious to hear your thoughts on that but thank you thank you Carrie I have another question about another acronym so there's something called private mortgage insurance or PMI uh, it might show up on mortgage statements and we talked about this in a previous episode and you've alluded to what's in the PMI I think a little bit earlier maybe um, but can you elaborate a little bit on what 
private mortgage insurance is and how it might show up on a mortgage statement? Yes, absolutely. So um, private mortgage insurance is insurance that protects your lender if you can't make the payments on your loan. So it doesn't protect you from anything. You're basically paying for the insurance that is providing your lender with protection in the event that you can't make your payments. Um, some types of loans require private mortgage insurance. And this is um, like the were loans we were talking about before with the FHA loans. Um, for example, they require um, private mortgage insurance that protects the lender that actually you as the borrower, you pay for that. Um, also in situations frequently, you'll see if um, you are buying a house, but you're putting down less than 20% of a down payment, your lender might say, well, we'll approve you for a loan, but we need you to pay private mortgage insurance. And this is something that you can pay. Um, sometimes you pay like sort of a lump sum, they say, like at the closing, you pay a big chunk of private mortgage insurance, or sometimes it's something that you pay each month. So when you get your monthly statement, you're paying your mortgage principal, you're paying your interest. You know, you might be paying a little bit each month to go to your taxes and your insurance, but then you're also paying an extra amount to go toward the private mortgage insurance that is protecting your lender. So basically, if your loan requires private mortgage insurance, it's gonna be more costly than a loan that does not require it. So that's one thing you wanna look for. And again, you can ask about that. Will I have to pay private mortgage insurance? Cause that's gonna make a big difference as far as how affordable your loan will be. I have a few follow-up questions. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so first, our listeners, if you, if you could see Andrew and I right now, we are laughing because I have forever called PMI insurance P and I. Is that a legit term? Or is it that I'm hearing PMI and think people are seeing, saying P and I or PMI? So I think when it, if you say P and I, I think of that as principal and interest, P and I. <laughs> And if you, so that is what I would think if you said that, whereas PMI, I would think private mortgage insurance. So that's yeah, something. I was like, about. totally like, Andrew, you're wrong. It's the same. And she was like, no, I'm not wrong. And I have to admit to Andrew, she is not wrong. I think it's just in my head, people were saying PMI and I was hearing P and I. So that's just a little funny thing between Andrew and I. But, but to Nikki's credit, PMI and PNI sound very, sound similar. very similar. And I think that the lesson that we should all learn as educators and professionals is stop using acronyms like they're words. <laughs> but okay, so for that, for PMI, most mortgages seem to have that, right? Like I, I haven't personally heard of mortgages unless maybe if you could put a bunch of money down at once or something, but like most mortgages, you're probably going to have that payment, right? So you should make sure you understand how much is going to that each month. I would say if you can buy a house and um, save up and put down 20% down payment when you purchase the house, you have a good chance of not having to pay PMI. So that can really save you a lot of money. It's when you're putting down less than 20% down payment when you purchase the house is when 
most lenders are saying we need some private mortgage insurance to make sure that you're as vested in this process as we are, you know, so um, so that's one way you can avoid it. And there are actually rules that if you if you have your mortgage and you've been paying it for a long time and you are reaching the point where you you um, you're you have like a 20% of equity in your house, meaning like you, the home, the value of your home is more than 20% more than what you owe on the mortgage. You can actually cancel your private mortgage insurance. So that's something you want to talk to your servicer or lender about, you know, if you've been in a mortgage for a long time that has private mortgage insurance, you might qualify to have that um, taken off if your the value of your home has gotten to the point where you what you owe is at least you know 80 percent of the value of your home and you have 20 percent um equity as we would say yeah because i know personally with with my mortgage that was something my husband and i talked about is like can we maybe once we're in this for a little bit like quote unquote pay off our pmi i know it's not really pay off necessarily but like put more money in to get rid of that, which then, you know, knocked our monthlies prices down. Exactly. That can be a great way to go about it. Yeah. When I got my mortgage, I actually made sure to ask my lender, what date does this PMI roll off? Because I understood that I would be paying a lot faster towards that 80% value of what my principal balance was or whatever um, faster because I took a shorter term loan and I actually put it in my calendar and made sure that it wasn't on my next <laughs> monthly statements because I didn't want to pay PMI anymore. Yeah, it seems like a, it seems like a tricky thing or a part of mortgages that most people probably aren't expecting. Carrie, I just had one last question on the on the private mortgage insurance part. Um, I know you mentioned how like if you have an FHA loan or a VA loan or some other governmental institution loan that is uh, insuring your loan, if borrowers have that like FHA insured backing, would they still maybe be asked to pay PMI as well? They are, yes. And like with um, FHA, you actually pay it to the FHA. So, you know, the FHA offers, like I said, I said they guarantee or offer insurance to the lender, but ultimately a lot of that cost is passed on to the borrower. So you do pay, if you have an FHA loan, you want to ask how much you pay at closing because you will pay a chunk of the private mortgage insurance at closing. Um, and then you will also pay private mortgage insurance each month. Um, so that's something to think about, but they do allow, you know, like maybe a down payment, even as low as like three and a half percent or something like that. So it can bring, um, you know, the option of having a mortgage and purchasing a home to people who can't save up for a huge, big, huge down payment. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I was just curious because like, you know, you might say like, well, if the FHA is already insuring my loan, like why do I have to pay insurance as well? But that, thank you for clarifying that. Um, so we want to talk about another uh, government regulation or kind of aspect of this. Um, there's something called the Truth in Lending Act or the TILA or TILA sometimes it's called. Um, so what is that and when do you get it? So um, the Truth in Lending Act is a law that basically what it does is it requires your lender to disclose, you know, to share information with you about your loan so that you understand what you are, what, what your loan, how your loan is going to work. So it doesn't, you know, 
prohibit or any kind of loan. It doesn't stop lenders from making any kind of special loans, but it helps you make sure that you understand what your loan is going to be and how much it's going to cost you. Um, so, you know, you would normally, once you apply for a loan, you would get an initial, an initial truth in lending statement um, that kind of tells you what some of the terms of your loan would be, the interest rate, the, you know, the fees and the costs and how much it would cost you over the life of the loan. Um, then at the closing on your loan, then there would be a final statement, uh, Truth in Lending Act statement that explains, you know, what your loan is, what your monthly payment is, all that stuff. Now with mortgages, um, you know, some of them use these Truth in Lending Act disclosures, but others um, may use a different form, which is called um, a loan estimate at the beginning. So it, it functions very similar to the Truth in Lending Act statement. It tells you these are the fees, this is your interest rate, this is whether it's going to be fixed or adjustable, you know, all those things, the amount that you can borrow, that you're approved to borrow. And then like a few days before the closing, you would get a similar um, form called a closing disclosure. And then this, again, this is a final, um, gives you the final numbers of, you know, all the terms of your mortgage and what it's going to cost you. I know we talked a little bit, well, we touched on it a little bit earlier about um, loans being sold. So your mortgage is being sold. So what happens if your mortgage is sold? So really not a lot happens if your mortgage is sold, uh, um, meaning like your lender sells it to a different lender. That might not really impact you at all. It sort of depends. If you are having a hardship with your mortgage, sometimes who your lender is is important to know what sort of hardship programs are available to you. But other than that, you know, who your lender is doesn't really impact you. I mean, it, you have to pay back the money to whoever, either who you borrowed it from or whoever they're selling it to. So it doesn't impact you so much. It's just the servicer changing that you really have to be careful of so that you know where to make the payments. That's that's the key. Thank you, Carrie. And for anyone that's familiar with student loans, you hear about servicers and sometimes the servicers changing in that arena, same applies. You got to pay whoever is currently servicing the loan. So that's uh, some transferable knowledge to other types of loans. So thank you, Carrie. Um, speaking about regulations within Illinois, do lenders in Illinois need to have kind of a brick and mortar or physical location in order to originate a loan to a consumer? No, so an Illinois lender does not have to have a physical office to be licensed to originate loans to Illinois consumers. So um, it is possible to, you know, work with someone that might not have an actual office or building or, you know, location here in Illinois, but they could still be licensed in Illinois to provide loans. That's good to know. Um, so let's transition a little bit and talk about um, some of the consumer aspects with uh, this mortgage process. So Carrie, what rights do consumers have when it comes to obtaining and repaying the loan that they get? So consumers have many different types of rights and I couldn't even go into them all here right now. Um, but, you know, it, it can range from, you know, you have the right to be free from discrimination and the evaluation of your mortgage application. Um, you have um, some of the rights that we talked about earlier with the Truth in Lending Act, which deals with disclosure. So you have the right to information and you have the right to your lender to fully inform you about what the loan is, how it's going to work, how much it's going to cost you, um, things like that. 
So, you know, and one of, one of the things with these special loan programs we were talking about, like with the FHA and the VA and the USDA, um, for example, they have special programs for people who are experiencing hardships. So that's one of the benefits of that type of loan is that if you run into trouble making your payments, you have the right to speak with your servicer and be evaluated for hardship programs. Um, and that is not true with every type of conventional loan. Now, there are some types of conventional loans where you do have options if you run into hardship, but um, it depends on the loan. But with the, the FHA, the VA, and the USDA, they have these programs in place that their lenders have to follow if, if you're struggling to make payments. And specifically for Illinois, what tools exist to help consumers qualify for a mortgage or a home loan? Well, one of the, the benefits that is really useful to consumers um, that you can look for is that there are sometimes local governments offer down payment assistance programs that can help you purchase a home. So if you are interested in buying a home, but you don't have, you can't save up enough money to put down a down payment, um, there are down payment assistance programs. Um, they can be offered by like the city or the village that you're looking at purchasing a home in. Um, in the county that you're looking at purchasing a home in. Um, and they're not available everywhere, but there are you know, places that they are available. Um, the Illinois Housing Development Authority is a great place to find information about down payment assistance programs. They also um, have a program where they provide um, down payment assistance in certain circumstances. So I think that would be a great place to start and see if you are interested in getting some down payment assistance. And maybe that could be a create a new path to home ownership, essentially. Thank you, Carrie. I hope that some of our listeners are able to look into those kinds of programs. Um, so let's say there's a natural disaster and your house is destroyed. Do you still have to pay your mortgage payment? Yes, I think a lot of people are surprised by the fact that you do. It doesn't really change what you owe on your mortgage. You still owe the total balance, even if you have um, a natural disaster, you know, or some sort of, um, you know, fire or other kind of um, problem. So in that situation, it's really important to first contact your insurance company and to make a claim because the, you know, insurance that you, you're paying on your home exists for that purpose, you know, to help you in that situation. Um, but you also want to contact your mortgage servicer or lender, and then you'd want to work with both the insurance company and the lender to kind of address the damages. Um, there's also government assistance in certain situations. Um, if it's a result of a natural disaster, like many people are familiar with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, where they go by FEMA. Um, so they might be able to provide, you know, something like temporary housing or something like that if you're suffering from a natural disaster. Thank you, Carrie. And we also talk a little bit about natural disasters uh, in our financial emergency preparedness webinar that we did um, in late March. So we can link that in the show notes as well. Yeah, and it's important to review your insurance, I'll just say as well, uh, reviewing your insurance to make sure you know what kind of disasters are covered. Like, um, you know, by, like, you know, if your house burns down, that is covered. But if you happen to live like in a floodplain, like that's not always covered by your private insurance. Now the government does offer flood insurance. Um, there's other, you know, there's really, you know, there's insurance works a weird way. Like they don't cover earthquakes or other certain types of natural disasters. Um, 
so it's just important to look into your policy and, and know exactly how you are covered. Um, but Carrie, if, uh, if borrowers have trouble paying their mortgage, like what can they do or what should they do in that situation? Well, um, one thing I would say, the first thing that would be good to do is that you can get free advice um, and counseling from a HUD certified housing counselors. And they're listed on HUD's website. You can look up all the HUD certified housing counselors in Illinois. And um, you can find out, you know, have a set, sit down and have a session with somebody to get some counseling and help understand what your options are. Um, but in most cases, you know, to actually to, to go through with any of the options that are available to you, you'll have to work with your servicer directly. So oftentimes servicers have an application that you can submit if you're having a hardship. Um, you might have to submit other documentation about your income, you know, tax returns, things like that, pay stubs. Um, and to find out if you qualify for any assistance with your mortgage payments. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of hardship assistance. So it's one thing that's nice if you work with a HUD certified housing counselor, they can help you understand what the different options are and which one might best uh, fit your situation. But it's always best to reach out to the a counselor or a servicer as soon as possible. As soon as you know that you might be encountering a problem, it's a good idea to talk right away and evaluate your options. If you are further down the process, you know, legal aid clinics are also available if it's, you know, to talk about foreclosure and, and things like that. So um, the sooner that you address it, the better. There is um, just opening, um, just opening, you know, this week, there's the Illinois Housing Development Authority has a hardship um, fund for homeowners for people who have COVID-19 related hardships, and you can submit an application for an emergency grant. So that is another avenue um, to explore as well. So we talked a lot on this podcast about credit and credit scores. And so just shopping around for a mortgage hurt your credit score? Well, that's a great question because you want to be kind of careful about how you go about shopping around with, you know, multiple um, lenders for mortgages. So one thing that you that's really um, helpful is that there is a few um, apply for a mortgage or inquire about a mortgage um, within a 45 day window. If multiple um, potential mortgage lenders check your credit, it will not have an impact on your score. So from whenever the first um, you know, potential lender checks your credit for 45 days after that period of time, you can have other lenders check your credit and go through the process too, which gives you a really good opportunity to shop around and see what different lenders might be willing to offer you. But to clarify, it basically pools all those different inquiries as one inquiry instead of like seven, right? If you use seven different um, pre-approval requests or whatever with seven different lenders. So that's a really big benefit to shopping around in a shorter time frame. Yes, exactly. And that's not just true of home mortgages as well, just for listeners' knowledge. That also applies to things like car loans and, and consumer loans as well. So we talked a little bit about pre-approval letters, um, but can you kind of explain what pre-approval and pre-qualification letters are, Carrie? Yeah, so if you are interested in purchasing a home, what you can do is you can go to a mortgage loan originator or a lender and um, go through a process called pre-qualification or pre-approval, but 
basically what you are is you're trying to find out, you know, roughly speaking, how much money you could borrow to purchase a house. So um, it's really helpful information um, to give you a sense of when you start shopping for a house, um, how much house you can afford, I guess is the way to put it. Um, so, so it's really useful in that way. But um, keep in mind that pre-approval and pre-qualification letters are not a guarantee that a lender will lend you money. They always come with some conditions on them and they can vary um, depending on exactly what type of pre-qualification or pre-approval you have. But you wanna always ask and understand, you know, what are the conditions on this letter? You know, what, you know, you might have to, um, you know, you can only be approved if certain things about you, you know, your income stays the same, you know, things like that. Um, sometimes you can get these letters before your income is even verified with documentation, just based on, you know, you, you're telling your mortgage loan originator, well, this is how much money I make. And this is, you know, this is what um, my situation is. So they're not a guarantee at all, but it gives you a sense of how much you, when you go to shop for home, what price range you should be looking in. And it could also be helpful to a seller to show them that you're serious about, you know, getting a mortgage because you've already talked to a mortgage lender and you're already understanding the process and the terms and it's something that you want to move forward on. Yeah, that sounds like a great place to start if uh, people are considering uh, looking to buy a home, looking into buying a home. Um, well, Carrie, you've, uh, we've covered a lot about mortgages today. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with us or the listeners? Um, the only thing I would say is that we do here at the department, we have a consumer services um, um, unit where we do work directly with consumers and the companies that we license. So do feel, please feel free to reach out to us. This could include mortgage loan originators or mortgage servicers. Um, so I would hesitate, uh, don't, don't I would tell you not to hesitate to contact us if um, there's something that we can do to work with you. We just want to thank you again, Carrie, for being on. Um, your insight and knowledge helped us make this very complicated subject easier to understand. Um, listeners, make sure to check the show notes for the resources that we mentioned in today's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to echo that uh, I really appreciate you coming on, echo Nikki's comments, um, because Mortgages are super complicated. <laughs> so um, listeners on our next episode, we will continue our series on housing with a discussion of redlining. Uh, we will have another very special guest on Illinois State Senator Jackie Collins, who's an expert on this subject. And the podcast will be out the first week of May. And as always, please like, subscribe and share our podcast with your friends and family. And thanks for listening.